The Colorado Business Roundtable unapologetically tells the story that business is a force for good in our community, featuring conversations with thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government. Welcome to A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown. Hi, welcome to this episode of A Seat at the Table with Colorado Business Roundtable, where we bring together thought leaders from academia, business, community, and government to talk about Colorado's most pressing issues. As the state affiliate of the National Business Roundtable, we work a lot with large employers and really on pressing issues such as workforce, which is the conversation for today. I'm excited to welcome Joe Garcia to today's conversation He's the chancellor of the Colorado Community College System and oversees 113,000 students annually at 13 colleges with 35 locations across Colorado. Uh, Joe, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you, Debbie. I'm glad to be here. One of the things I noticed in particular about your bio, Joe, and I want to ask you more about your journey and how you ended up in this leadership role is you've had a tremendous history of service, not only within higher education, but within government. And it's really an honor to talk to you. I was realizing that you and I hadn't really talked one-on-one before, although I've seen you, seen your work, seen your leadership, certainly heard you speak in a variety of capacities. So really cool to speak with you one-on-one and hear more about your story. So I'd love to open it up to that before we get into maybe more specific questions about higher ed and workforce. Tell us more about you and how you ended up in this leadership role. It's kind of a long story, but I'll start with a little (laughs) bit about my family, which is uh, from a small town in northern New Mexico. But my dad joined the Army, and so I had the opportunity to grow up all around the country, all around the world. I went to kindergarten and first grade in Germany. I also have been at a lot of military bases in Huntsville, Alabama, and White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico, and Fort Wainwright, Alaska. So I've been around decided to come back here to the Southwest to go to college. Uh, And I had a Navy scholarship, so I was able to go to University of Colorado at Boulder. I showed up to having never seen that campus before, never been on any campus except one uh, in my entire life, but came out to Boulder and started my studies and have been a committed Coloradan ever since. I love the Rocky Mountain West, and except for leaving for three years to go to law school back east, I've been here uh, in Colorado since 1975. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your service. Uh, My dad was also in the Navy and that provided an opportunity for him to go to college. So it's something um, we're really grateful for. Um, It's interesting how you ended up in Colorado. I can relate to that as well. I moved here after college, but have been here ever since. So not quite a native, but here by choice. But what's fun, too, about your bio also served as lieutenant governor, um, the executive director of the Department of Higher Ed here in Colorado. What compelled you to spend so much of your career, most of your career, to public service and higher ed? How did how did that pathway start for you? It really started when I was a student at CU Boulder. I got very uh, involved in a couple of student organizations that were very committed to improving the diversity at CU Boulder, both in the student side and the faculty and staff side. And that carried with me uh, over to law school where I became the president of something called the Chicano Law Student Association. It was something I was always involved in. And my parents had always been very vocal proponents for civil rights and for higher education. My mom never had a chance to go to college. She was an army wife raising five kids, but she made sure all of us had that chance. So my younger brothers, one went on a Navy scholarship, one on an Army scholarship to MIT, where they both earned a 
undergraduate and graduate degrees. My older brother uh, was an Air Force ROTC person at University of New Mexico. And I came here with a Navy scholarship. But again, I got really interested in equity in higher education because I saw the low numbers of minority students at CU Boulder. And more disturbing than the low enrollment numbers were the low completion numbers. And so I've always been driven by that. And when I had the chance to work in public education law as an attorney, um, I did that. And then when I had the chance to join state government working for Governor Roy Romer on his cabinet, I did that. And I've been in state government or federal government or higher education for the last 25 or 30 years as a result. And now tell me more about your role with Colorado Community College System. When I think about where I've seen you in terms of thought leadership, not only, you know, not only pops in mind what you've done in terms of bringing um, diversity and inclusion and equity to the conversation, but there also seems to be a nimbleness to the community college system and the speed at which you're able to partner and align with industry, for example, you know, as part of the reputation um, and the collaborative spirit is part of the reputation. Tell me more about how you see the community college system and your team sort of fitting fitting those roles here in Colorado. Well, it's really so important for us because, as I said, what I'm concerned about is the degree to which first-generation students, low-income students, and students of color get access to higher education. And community colleges are really the starting point for most people in those populations. These are the students who weren't always told, you're going to go to college. These are students who didn't know whether college was an option and how to pursue it if they wanted to go. So what we want to do is make sure that we are providing that access point. And more important, 25 years ago when I started this business, we were all about access. Now we're more about success and completion and what's next. And so what we, we really want to do is focus on helping students get the academic preparation they need, the financial resources they need, and the, frankly, the guidance they need to move into higher education and then find a fulfilling career and life afterwards. Well, and I love hearing that it's sort of a ladder in so that it's, it's a stepping stone where they can get into a pathway, whether they finish um, what, what they started at the community college system or go to a different institution. What are you seeing in terms of completion rates now Again, having sort of that long view of your career, are you seeing much more um, access? Access is one thing, but like you said, a completion is, is a success metrics that you're looking at. What are you seeing there? And that is the right metric. But what I'm seeing here, and we just were recognized nationally, Colorado, that is, by Complete College America. It's a national organization that's committed to student outcomes. And uh, they recently wrote about Colorado in a study saying that over the last five years, the Colorado Community College System has doubled its graduation rate. That's a greater improvement than wow. anywhere else in the country. That doesn't mean where we need to be. Too many students still start with us and never get past one semester or the first year. Here's the challenge in using Colorado. And this is numbers from 10 years ago, but they're not much better now. If you took 100 minority uh, ninth graders, either black or brown, in Colorado, you took 100 of them, as ninth graders, four years later, only two-thirds, 66%, would be graduating from high school on time. So you've already lost the third. If you look at the next fall and see how many enrolled in college, we're really down to about 28 out of that 100. 
And if you want to see how many came back for a second year of college, it's only 20. And if you look at how many complete a degree within 150% of time, that is get a four-year degree within six years, uh, it's fewer than 10. So think about that. You started with 100 students with potential, with ambition, but somehow we only end up with 10 graduating. That's not just bad for them, Debbie. It's bad for business. It's bad for the state. And we need to do better. Well said, Joe. What are, what are the solutions that you're looking to, whether it's with the Colorado Community College System um, specifically or higher ed as a whole? What would you see that we need to do that we're not doing? Well, all of higher ed, not just uh, community colleges, need to accept the responsibility for serving first-generation students and low-income students. I think in the past, uh, our universities often looked at that as, hey, that's the community college's job. They'll handle those students. A lot of those students are very capable of performing at a university level, but they don't know how to access it. So one of the things we need to do, or even why they should, one of the things we need to do with those students is making sure that from the earliest days that they are in elementary school, people are talking to them about the possibility of college, not the impossibility of college, not the unaffordability of college, not the irrelevance of college, but why it matters and why it's possible. And I think if they hear that throughout their whole youth as they're going through school, they're not looking at high school as the end. They're looking at it as the end of that step, but the beginning of another. And then we need to handle those transitions between high school and college better. In the past, high schools have figured once you graduate, you're not our issue anymore. But to colleges, until you enroll, you're not our issue either. And so we lose so many capable first-generation students between the time they leave high school and when they could go to college, but don't know how or even where to start or even that it's possible. So we need to do that. And then once we enroll them, we need to not look at college as a select and sort system where we weed out the unprepared or the undeserving, but as really a, an opportunity to help them succeed. How do we create opportunities? How do we build in the support system so that you can be successful? In my early years in higher education, we had a lot of professors in those gateway classes, those first-year classes, that almost viewed it as part of the job was to wash out 25 or 35% of the students and say, you don't belong here. Why would we do that? Uh, we're taking their money. Let's give them the opportunity to succeed. And that means we can do a little bit better and we ought to look at and be measured by our degree to successfully educate students, not to enroll students. Is there more of a trend on that, Joe, across the country or here in Colorado in terms of changing that success metrics? You know, I think about from the business perspective, the industry perspective of folks that I sometimes talk about these issues with, you know, there's not necessarily that alignment in terms of what what some of the students are coming out with. Tell me more about that in terms of metrics changes. Is that is that a newer concept? It is a newer concept, but it's a um, really important one. We've started funding our colleges and universities based in part, not just on, on their enrollments, but on their success rates and on their success rates with these more challenging populations. So part of your funding, whether you're at CU or the community colleges, comes based on your ability to graduate students. That's important. But what we also recognize is that we've got to graduate them with the ability to do something that is valuable so that they can, what students come to school for, they will all tell you, is to get a job, to make a living, 
And yet a lot of our programming really isn't directed at that. Now, it doesn't all need to be, you know, directly pointed. I was just talking with a healthcare executive who had studied art history. We always think, well, you can't do anything with that. But I'll bet we all know CEOs who have backgrounds in art history or English, things like that. But it's important to get that education and learn how to critically examine and solve problems. And yeah, it's provide people with skills. A lot of our students now who graduate from college have never actually held a job. Uh, they've never punched a clock. And I hear that from employers all the time, that they have students who did all the right extracurricular things, but they never had a job and they don't know what being an employee is. We need to help there as well. Yeah, and that is actually uh, an interesting segue to my next question about industry alignment. To some degree, it's not just um, an issue for higher ed to solve. It's an issue where we all need to come together. How can industry lean in in terms of looking at jobs of the future, adding some thought leadership about the fluidity of certain careers to make sure that the learners do find sort of earner pathways that are relevant? Because uh, it's no fun to, you know, you're not just in class to be in class. You know, there is sort of this higher purpose. And uh, before I throw that back to you, Joe, I'll laugh. You know, one of my daughters was an English major. And if that wasn't compelling enough, her double major was Latin, which you think, hmm, what's the market opportunity? It's English and Latin. And sitting down with her and helping her understand, you know, where she can utilize those skills. And she's fully employed and doing really well here in Denver because, uh you know, she certainly has a head for business, too, but has sort of that interesting sort of liberal arts background. Uh, and then my son was an accounting major. So kind of an interesting, you know, obviously a different path in that realm. But but having people have the freedom to choose their path is so interesting. But but back to that on the workforce um, alignment issue, that's really an area where I've been involved in the last couple of years and where I've seen you um, in different meetings. What's the role of the business community in this? I mean, in terms of apprenticeships, mentorships, even providing those opportunities for students to really see what they could do, seems to me the the business community needs to do more. Business community does need to do more. In the past, they've always waited for us to produce graduates, and then they would decide which ones to hire. They would train them at that point to do a specific job. Now we need to get businesses more involved, and I think they want to be more involved because they are facing the challenge of recruiting employees. None of us can hire. We're a large employer too. We employ over 9,000 individuals across the state and we're having a hard time retaining and hiring qualified employees, just like all the people who are members of the business roundtable. But we need to start talking to students while they're still in college about what skills they need and what job options, what job opportunities are out there. And we need businesses to help us identify the skills that our students lack and to provide sometimes the community colleges anyway, instructors or equipment or guidance on what we are doing right and what we're not doing. For example, if we're producing auto mechanics that don't know how to work on cars built after 2010, then we're not producing people who are going to do very good work. And that was what I learned when I was at Pikes Peak Community College, our automotive program was good at tra training shade tree mechanics who wanted to work on 1970s cars with carburetors. That's not what dealers wanted. We need employees to come in and tell us, this is what we need. Here's what we think you ought to be teaching them that will help them get a heads up or a, a foot up in our uh, organization. And then they need to provide paid internships for students. 
our students can't afford to take unpaid time to try to, when they're, when they're also trying to pay their tuition, pay their living costs, these are not students who come with a lot of discretionary income or a lot of financial support, but they have the, the ability and the ambition to be good employees. We just need employers to play a role in helping us produce them and motivate. Anything I can do to pass along information or needs that you all have, happy to happy to do that and make sure that we're available in that realm. And I couldn't agree more with you on paid internships, even though, you know, I live in the suburbs and, uh, you know, my kids, my kids still didn't have a lot of money and, and having them have opportunities for unpaid internships didn't make any sense for anybody. I mean, it's just really shocking when I hear that. Curious too, in line to this alignment piece pandemic, I've seen some change in terms of how higher ed had to pivot. Curious how you've had to pivot in terms of serving your students, serving your faculty, coming out of the pandemic and then kind of looking towards the next couple of years. How has that been for for your um, community college system? You're right. We've had to pivot just as your businesses have. We've had to figure out how to do more online not just in terms of delivering our instructional services, but even working with our employees. How do we allow students to take classes online? How do we prepare instructors to effectively teach online? How do we equip ourselves and our students with the necessary technology and devices? We had to give away literally thousands of laptops because many of our students didn't have them. And telling them they could work from home wasn't helpful if they didn't have internet if they didn't have a laptop, we had to help them. In some of our rural colleges, we had to turn our service kind of pointing out into the parking lot so students could drive up, sit in their car and download assignments and upload their homework. Those are things that businesses had to do as well. They had to figure out how can we deliver our retail goods online? How can we get people to access what we sell online? We've had to do the same thing. It's been uh, disruptive, certainly, but we've, like, again, so many other businesses, we've adjusted. We do a lot more instruction online or hybrid where you come in one day every two weeks instead of three days a week for a semester. And it's working, but it's taken some time and we had to do it fast. Again, just like all the employers you work with. When you think about what's next for higher ed, and this isn't really, this is something that's a little bit off script, but because of your background and your expertise for your entire career in this space, it's always interesting to think about like what's next. You know, we think about in different industries, we're looking at, okay, electrification and in sort of the infrastructure space, when we think about tax and regulatory issues, we can kind of see what's coming in terms of what's what's happening in maybe other states. What do you think the future of higher ed is? You know, a lot of times I hear about, you know, we're not, we're not funding our higher ed um, the way other states are. So that's a competitiveness issue for our state. But but if you were to look out 10 years or five years, do you do you have a sense of what the business community should know about what's coming? Yes, this is really important. I won't talk about funding because people think all higher ed leaders do is complain about the lack of funding. So let's just take that as a given. Our biggest challenge right now is people, is bodies, it's customers. We're seeing a decrease in the number of high school graduates we're seeing a decrease in immigration rates, uh, and yet we're seeing an increasing demand for people with post-secondary education. So we've got a lot of schools that are really facing declines in enrollment. Frankly, community colleges have been facing declines in enrollment, not just during the pandemic, but for the preceding 10 years that followed the last recession. 
when the economy is good, our enrollments are less good. Uh, when the economy goes bad, we tend to grow in enrollment. Right now, we're, we've been losing students for quite a number of years. We're not alone. Most of our regional comprehensive universities, our small state colleges are also losing students. And just like any other business, when you lose students, customers, you lose revenue, you can't keep the employees you have, you can't operate the facilities you have. So our biggest challenge is a lack of students. Now, I think those students are still there, but they're primarily among the first generation students, the low income students, students of color, immigrants, refugees, people we have not served well. But if we don't do a better job of reaching those new, I'll call them customers for this purpose, if we don't do a better job of reaching them, we're just not gonna have enough customers to go around and many schools will shut down. They will not be financially sustainable enterprises. Yeah, it's 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 the coming cliff to some degree that I've heard about the demographic shift of uh, the entire nation, not really a Colorado problem, if I'm reading it right. Is that how you read it too, Joe? It is exactly right. Colorado's been a little bit doing better than most other states in terms of not losing those high school graduates, but in our rural communities, you, know, you go to a place like Sterling or Lamar, La Junta, those high school classes are half what they were 20 or 30 years ago. How do you sustain colleges there and yet you know you need them. Now, I think it's important for your listeners to understand that more than 90% of our students are Colorado residents. More than 95% stay in Colorado to work after they graduate. These are students who are critical to our economy, but we need to support them and help them move in. And we know, again, not everybody needs a four-year degree, but they need at least an associate's degree or a certificate in a particular skill so that they can get a job. And we know they're in demand. We know that most of your employers say they need more graduates, but they don't need more high school graduates. They need more people with a post-secondary credential. Right, absolutely. And it is it is our biggest issue for our employers. It was before COVID. During COVID, it became uh, just even more heightened. Workforce was the number one issue. And going into 2023 again, it's workforce, workforce, workforce. That's what all of our employers are trying to lean in. And so this conversation is very timely in terms of how we can continue to have a strategic um, alignment with, with all the good work that you and your team are doing. So appreciate your time today. I've got two quick lightning round questions for you just to liven it up. People can get to know you better um, before we before we jump off. But what is your favorite powerhouse lunch or happy hour location, Joe? I'm not much of a happy hour or fine dining sort of guy. So, you know, frankly, I like the burger joints, you know, and there's so many new burger joints around. I enjoy those. And that's about as gourmet as I get. Sounds good. A good burger. How about your favorite binge, a binge thing, like a podcast, a book, or a Netflix series that that you've enjoyed? Boy, there's so many of those. I do too much of that. Of course, I'm always several years behind everybody else. Sons of Anarchy, a Netflix Mm. series about a motorcycle gang. Pretty grim, pretty gruesome, and yet somehow captivating. So Good. I'll have to give that another shot. (laughs) And then um, finally, your best advice you've received to help you get a seat at the table. Well, I think really that goes back to something that has helped me my whole life. My mom early on, again, as I said, very religious, not very educated at the time, but very smart. Pray as if everything depended on God, but work as if everything depended on you. And so it's always Hmm. about hard work and figuring you can't wait for somebody else. 
God or anybody else to make things happen for you. You've got to make it happen for yourself. Yeah, that's a great quote. I love that. I've always thought, um, you know, part of my secret sauce is I can work hard. You know, that overcomes a lot of things. So really agree with that. It doesn't matter what job it is. Do it to your very best, whether it's, you know, I used to do janitorial work. I did a lot of uh, work in moving vans and driving cash trucks. But I always try to do the very best I could and to learn whatever I could from those different jobs. And every one of those jobs has helped me in the job I have now. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, Joe, great to get to know you better. Appreciate all the work and leadership you've provided for our state. And uh, just thank you for being on with us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. This has been A Seat at the Table with Colorado Business Roundtable. A Seat at the Table with Debbie Brown is a production of the Colorado Business Roundtable. You can find this episode, a listing of our upcoming events, and more information about our organization at cobrt.com.